Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. It's Monday, February 27th, 2023, and you are listening to episode 60, the Jonathan Gibson. Yes, I did have to look him up on basketballreference.com. Not very many players wore number 60 in the NBA. Of the returning Walder Sportscast. My name is Chris Walder, and I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. And it's been a minute since I've done a podcast. Uh, looks like the last time I recorded, doing a little uh, search back in the vault here. Uh, last time I did a show was back in June of last year when I had my pal Noor Zainab on with me. And now we're in February, so fast forward eight months later. And I wish I had a solid explanation as to why I stopped doing this show, because I really don't. It, it was more or less time and everything that was going on in my life, you know, preparing for a wedding, which, spoiler alert, if you've seen my Twitter profile picture for the last several months, my now wife Megan and I had a, a ceremony in December at Disney World at a, a restaurant called Paddlefish, Looks overlooks the water, beautiful day, beautiful ceremony, still going strong, we've exceeded Chris Humphreys and Kim Kardashian levels of marriage, so we're happy about that, but I seriously just got tied up in so many different things, uh, including my, my day job, couldn't really focus my attention on recording, and I think what kind of woke me up to this whole return was that I read one of the comments on my Apple podcast list, uh, I, for, I forget his name, but it, it was more or less something along the lines of, I wasn't committed to the podcast, which, you know, sure. I mean, it's true, I certainly wasn't, and I let myself down for that, and I wish I had handled it at all differently, you know, worked with my time a lot better, but just like my Jakob Pertl takes on Twitter, I have turned over a new leaf, ladies and gentlemen, I have learned the error of my ways, and I really do want to make something of this show, so I'm back, I'm ready to record, I'm ready to make something of this podcast, and truly, who better to do that with than a staple of Toronto Raptors Twitter, the online community I hold so near and dear to my heart. It's the one and only Amana Dawn, who you can give a follow on Twitter, at Amana Dawn. One of the best follows on Raptors Twitter for a very long time, a long-standing one at that, and we're going to talk about that on today's show. Her and I actually recorded two shows together on Sunday, as we also recapped the Raptors-Cavaliers game, so go over and check that out on Yahoo Sports Canada I'm happy to have her back on. Always enjoy chatting it up with her. Basketball, life, you name it. Um, So again, I'm happy to be back, everyone. Thank you guys so much for for joining me on this journey. But without further ado, let's get going. Ahmad will be here with me after this quick break. So keep it locked. Adon, an online host for Yahoo Sports Canada, as well as a writer for BasketballNews.com. Go give her a follow on Twitter at Amon underscore Adon. Amon, my friend, welcome back to the podcast. A long day for you and I, because we're doing two of these today. I feel like you're going to be sick of me after the end of this. 
No, I love this. This is a Chris and Iman doubleheader. We're both back, you know? Walter Sportscast is back. My pod with Yahoo Sports Canada is back after a bit of a hiatus. This is good. Are you excited to like take the training wheels off here? Like you're, you're getting back into the podcast game. You're, you're, you're doing stuff with Yahoo Sports Canada. Are you, are you feeling a little bit rusty or are you, are you just going back full speed ahead? No, this is like Jakob in his first game, you know? Like, we're, we're like <laughs> what, what did he say in the Open Gym episode? Like, uh, why do I need an introduction? Everybody knows me here. That's what it feels like, right? Like, we're the, the theme of this, you know, final stint of the Raptor season is everyone's back, including Yak. Well, Amon's back, and, and we're happy for that. And thank you so much for joining me on this uh, return edition of the Walder Sports Cast. I wanted a big guest, and, and believe me, it doesn't get any bigger than you, my friend. And because oh, you and I, I mean, aim look at higher, it this way. Chris. Aim no, higher. I look. I, I've aimed high. I've, I've hit the highest of heights. Amon is right there at the top. So again, truly thankful for for your time here today. And I'm looking forward to chatting uh, the Raptors Cavaliers game later today, which I hope goes well for Toronto. But First and foremost, Amon, I wanted to talk to you because a lot of people online on on Raptors Twitter associate you and I and, and several others as well with like the early days of the platform. Like we've been around for like forever and a half since the prehistoric era for Toronto Raptors Twitter. You know, you you and I were there during like the hashtag RTZ movement, which was kind of keeping everyone's takes we together. We were there before that. <laughs> yeah, we were we there a very long that. time. <laughs> exactly. But we're I'm, I'm kind of curious, though, like, what, what are your early memories of Raptors Twitter? Because it's obviously evolved a lot over time. The yeah. team has found more success. We've won a championship since then. But, like, what are your early, you know, so recollection crazy. of Raptors Twitter? Do you have any fond memories of that time? Honestly, I think if you had told any of us that we, you know, like, oh, you know, Seven, eight years later, you guys are going to be talking and saying, oh, you won a championship since then. I think all of us, all of our heads would collectively explode because to me, making the playoffs at that time was like, oh, unimaginable feat. You know, I I joked about it recently that when um, Kyle was traded, because there's right now with the uh, 2024 pick being traded for Jakob Pertl, there's all this talk about like, well, what's going to happen to that pick? Um, Because if it doesn't convey, then you can't trade your future picks and because I was like obsessed with that concept back when the Raptors traded a protected first round, uh, protected lottery pick for Kyle Lowry, I remember learning that like, no, that doesn't actually work. If you get more additional first round picks and it's fine. Um, so, uh, and, and the reason why I go through all of this explanation is because the pick conveying for Kyle Lowry um, was, it needed to be in the lottery in order for it to go to Houston or OKC. And if it didn't fall in the lottery, for five straight years, then it would turn into two second round picks. And I remember at that time being like, five straight <laughs> years of the playoffs? Who are we, the Spurs? Like, that's never going to happen. Um, and it did. So what do I think about my time on Raptors Twitter back then? Well, we were really sad watching a lot of really sorry teams when the thought of five straight years in the playoffs seemed like an impossible feat. But it was a lot of fun. I think it was less of uh, a giant community and more of just like a bunch of random people who talked Raptors, right? Like it felt like um, it felt like we were five people in a storm of everyone tweeting about the Knicks and the Bulls and the Lakers and whoever else. So it, it just felt like basketball Twitter was just forming and Raptors Twitter was just, you know, myself, you, Jordan, I think Joseph Gasharo was on there too. So it was like a very small group of people. I could probably name like five or six. <laughs> Do you ever miss the days of tweeting, like continuously tweeting Kyle Lowry over everything? I feel like that was your thing I for like that. an extended stretch. 
Oh yeah, like I went back through it um, and <laughs> Kyle's first game here, I was like, he's my favorite player. Like in preseason, I was like, he is the best. First game, favorite player. And I, I remember that season so well because my brain is broken and I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I can tell you everything about the 2013-2014 Raptor season um, and 2012-2013 Raptor season, which is what that one was. Um, but uh, I remember his first game being like, he's my favorite player. Second game, he is my favorite player. Third game, he is my favorite player. And then fourth game, he got hurt. But um, so my love for Kyle started right at the beginning. And it's kind of sad, especially because he's not playing right now. And his team that he's on desperately needs him. I think they need him a little bit more than we do, which sounds a little wild to say. Oh, wow. But um, yeah, it, oh, it's bad. If you think it's bad for the Raptors, oh boy, it's been bad for the Miami Heat. I just watched them yesterday. That was a very, very sad game. They need a point guard very desperately, which I'm sure we'll get into it in a little bit, but that's why I want Fred VanVleet to stay this summer because point guard market is very thin, very scarce right now. A lot of teams need one, and when you do not have one, you suffer greatly. Should we just turn this into a slander pod for the Miami Heat? Because I feel like you've got some vent-up emotions here. You want to go hard on South Beach. I just, I mean, I wish South Beach would go hard, right? Like, why are they such a, like, they're a team that makes no sense. I, I don't think they're a team worth betting on. In the same way that I thought, you know, I was really pro-Raptor trading for Yaka Pertle. I was really pro-betting on what this core can be and at least giving them the chance to prove themselves. And, of course, we've got, you know, 21 games left in the season. If they do not prove themselves, then that's when you tear it up. I look at that Miami team, and I don't understand why they ever bet on themselves. I don't know why they did that a couple of years ago. I've said this a bunch. I think people focus a little bit too much on um, the result as opposed to the process that got you there. Like, yeah, you made the finals, but it was in the bubble and we can look at all of the odd things that needed to happen. Is Tyler Hero worth someone? Is Tyler Hero worth betting on? I don't think so. Is Duncan Robinson worth betting on? I don't think anyone thinks so. Like, so to me, I just look at that team and I'm like, it's, it's very odd. It doesn't make any sense when Kevin Love, a buyout guy, is starting for you right away and is far and away the best option that you have at power forward and deserves to be starting and is one of your top three players right now um that that's really really sad considering we're talking about a buyout guy like his, he was so bad for the Cavs that they bought him out like he was that unnecessary to them that they didn't think they could get like a second round pick in the market for him i guess you would need it to match his salary if you had to do that but whatever it is I just think the Miami Heat are very, very sad. Tell us how you really feel, Amon. I feel like you've had this kind of locked in the chamber here. You're ready to just go, like, I just slander away on Miami. I wanted them to be good. And I still think that Kyle Lowry is, like, I, I wonder what he is at this point in his career. But I think he's sort of good enough to make something work, even with them, because I'm a huge Jimmy Butler fan. Um, so I'm like, okay, maybe if you throw in Kyle, there's something there that can make sense here, but Gabe Vincent is not it. <laughs> I'm sorry. This team, I just look at them and I'm like, ugh, why are you guys wasting Kyle like this? Give him back. Well, this is kind of like a nice segue into my next point here, because, you know, starting starting off talking about social media, Twitter in general, I feel like Toronto Raptors Twitter has a very negative perception outside of our own fan base. Like, we can talk the talk, we can walk the walk, but I feel like other fan bases on Twitter look at us and be like, God, I wish, like, these Raptors fans would just shut up. And it's kind of evident now, like, we can go hard on, like, discouraging other teams like we just did with the Miami Heat here. We, we've done it with Philadelphia and Boston in the past. Uh, Amon, if you were to describe 
Raptors Twitter to someone who isn't really a particularly part of this of this fan base of this online community how would you go about doing it would you be as positive as possible or would you just be honest and blunt and and call it like it is with us yeah I think you would have to be a little bit more honest and I think the thing about Raptors Twitter that a lot of people sort of fail to realize is like yes at the beginning it was like five or six of us but right now it's like 50,000 people like it's so many people obviously I'm exaggerating but it's so many people so I I don't think we can like ascribe one word to the group because I think that there as we've seen with you know people who want to tank versus people who want to go for it people who love Fred versus people who dislike Fred there are so many varying degrees and everyone sort of exists on opposite spectrums which is like such a cool thing as someone you know two people who've been on Raptors Twitter since the very beginning that didn't exist back then, right? Like there were like three opinions because there were three people total. And now because it there's it's so large and it's such a big fan base, you can have opposing opinions and you can have um you can just sort of it's just it's just so big. And I, I kind of always pointed to this when the We the North thing came out and uh, we the North came out in what, like 2014? So that was still fairly early on. So yes, it was much bigger than it was in 20, in 2009 and 2010 when we dropped on. But um, 2014 was still um, a pretty big fan base considering. And, and what I always sort of explained to people was the We the North moniker came out because Raptor fans are a little jaded. You know, they feel like the little brother in their city because the Leafs are obviously, <laughs> the Leafs are, I mean, it's Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment for a reason, right? Like their ownership group is named after the other team. Uh, so they feel a little jaded. And I, you know, I think sports coverage in the city has improved so much, especially with online content like the Walter Sportscast. But um, back then, that didn't really exist. You couldn't really find... Um, basketball coverage on TV at the very least, right? Like now we got William Liu on Sportsnet. We have the Raptors show there, right? That wasn't a thing back then. And I remember, you know, really desperately looking for basketball content. And I would go to like Sportsnet and TSN and all those big guys. And like, even when they talked basketball, they talked about it with hockey terms. Like they would make references to players and they would use examples and analogies from hockey and I would be listening to this like what is this how is this like in any way um like a good way to have a basketball uh, conversation and so I think as Raptor fans like I remember myself at that time really feeling like okay we're completely overlooked in our own market and then you go over to the state side because that's where they're talking basketball and nobody talks about Toronto, right? Like ESPN doesn't care to talk about the Raptors. No. The Raptors have had like, what, one Christmas game in the last 25 years? Like, they don't care about the Raptors in that way. And so you feel like the little brother in the NBA because you're the one international team and you feel like the little brother in your own city. And I think people sort of put this small market moniker on the Toronto Raptors when in reality, this is the third largest market in the NBA. And the two markets that are bigger are Brooklyn and Los Angeles or New York and Los Angeles who share two teams. So like Toronto really is the biggest market if you think about the fact that they're not divvying themselves up by having a few different teams here. And so like you think about any big market, fans are going to be rabid, fans are going to be wild, fans love this team very strongly because it's such a big fan base, but then you're overlooked in every single avenue and every single way, you're going to feel a little bit jaded. So I think that like older Raptor fans really come from that mindset, and I think newer Raptor fans luckily um, have 
more ways to get content and, and learn about the sport and feel like their team is appreciated in some ways. So I think it's changed a little bit, but I don't think that that mindset has completely left. And that's something that I like to explain to Americans, especially when trying to explain why Raptor fans are the way that they are. <laughs> Do you ever wish, like, I feel like this is a first world problem when it comes to like my own interactions on Twitter like I, I do miss the days in a way where I could say what I wanted on Twitter like when it comes to basketball takes and not fear the repercussions of what other people you know the, the the bots the trolls whoever have to say about my opinions obviously over time and doing this for for well over a decade now I've built up a following just like you have just like our pal Jordan Hales and Joseph Cacharo have like the four fathers and, and mothers of, of Raptors Twitter but there are some days where I wish you know I, I could go back to the time where I didn't have to care about what other people said about my own thoughts but now when you have a certain amount of, of followers on Twitter everything that you say it could be like the dumbest thing it could be your opinion about a movie for example everything is dissected that much more because people clearly care about what you have to say do you ever have moments when you're on social media where you you fear like you're about to tweet something out and you're worried oh my god this is going to be this is going to bring some some controversy or this is going to bring some divisive opinions and then you kind of fear the repercussions of that because i do that on occasion i i, I truly worry about like man is this is this too much of a hot take on twitter and what people will have to say yeah, I do. And I mean, I, I've turned on the quality filters on my notifications, which 10 out of 10 would recommend anyone do, um, which like Twitter's just like, oh, this person doesn't follow you or doesn't interact. You don't interact with them at all. You will not be seeing their response to you. It's great. Um, <laughs> quality filters recommend those. But no, um, definitely. And I think also being a woman who talks sports like I it if someone dis disagrees with your opinion, it could be the most benign opinion, right? Or it could be like literally just tweeting out a stat, right? Like they just don't like the stat, which is like, I don't know, it's just a factual thing that's happened. I don't know how to like, it, there's no opinion tied to it. I'm just presenting something. Um, it, get, it can get pretty nasty and it can get pretty ugly. And that's something that's like, it's also not new as someone who has, you know, been online since I was, in high school on Raptors Twitter tweeting about the team and about the NBA as a whole. It's just going to be something that I think I've grown accustomed to. Um, but yeah, it still sucks. Like it's still annoying that I can't just use my account like in in the same way as everybody else is because people, I don't know, care more about what I have to say. Like I don't quite understand it. <laughs> like people just want to be angry. And so they they go to your account to see something that'll make them angry because it'll, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. And I think that like the rise of anonymous accounts with like player avies and like player names um, just makes that makes them feel a little bit more confident in spewing negativity out there. Whereas like, you know, you have your name tied to your account. You have your face tied to your account. You're probably going to be a little bit more respectful in the way that you respond to people where someone who doesn't have that can just sort of talk as wildly and freely as they want because they feel like there are no repercussions and you know people feel a little bit more confident behind um a computer screen or a phone screen so i think i've always sort of have that in the back of my mind but yeah it still kind of sucks but yeah you get used to it 
Well, this is the Elon Musk era of Twitter, right? I mean, the bots, the trolls, they're rising above, even though we were told in a way that accounts like that were going to be muted and removed from the platform altogether. But I forget what day it was, but there was this one day where we were all on social media, we were all on Twitter, and it was almost like a funeral. We were like, this is the, this is the day that Twitter truly comes to an end. And we were all convinced that we were all going to have to move to Facebook or Instagram or or what was that app called? Hive, Never I think. Uh, it, was the, it was the dumbest thing. And obviously, we're still here. We're still on Twitter. We're still tweeting. But I was always... I was always curious about what, you know, as a lifelong basketball fan, I use social media a lot to interact with other basketball fans and talk about the games that we're watching. But if Twitter were to just get up and vanish tomorrow, and in this world, in this time with who's in charge, that could very much be the case. Amon, what would your experience like, you know, working in basketball, watching basketball as a fan, if Twitter were to disappear tomorrow, how would that affect your ability to enjoy the NBA as a whole. Oh, greatly. I didn't like, it wasn't until that sort of moment where we were all having the funeral for Twitter and like, guys, still, Twitter is glitchy as all get out. So <laughs> I'm like not completely over my fears, but um, I think it taught me that like, you really need to diversify um, your, your sort of, um, your platforms. You can't just be stuck on one thing because there will be a point where that one thing goes away. And um, yeah, so that's something that I've learned because I, I love to live tweet games. I think it's a lot of fun. I think that that's what, I don't know that the NBA truly understood how great that would be for their league, but it has been, it's been fantastic. You know, I remember even the days of like LeBron James, the decision. That was so much fun to watch on Twitter. <laughs> like, no one in my real life, like I went to school the next day, no one cared, but like people on Twitter cared a whole heck of a lot and we got to watch it together and react to it together. And I think that like that communal aspect of watching basketball, I'm not sure it can really exist in another platform in the same way. I think the, the ability to just live tweet something, just get 40 characters. I don't need to see your face. I don't need you to make a TikTok dance. I don't need you to post an Instagram reel. Like I don't need any of that. It's just your thought right away. I think that that's such a great way to watch things. And so it'll really suck, but you know, it's taught us to like diversify it. I'm sure if like Twitter leaves, there will be some thing that sort of replicates that, that takes over because just, you know, a quick, a quick, little tweet 140 characters 280 characters whatever it may be um in a moment is so much more enjoyable than what other social media platforms really present did you ever make a backup account on hive just on the on the chance that twitter did die because I, I still have the hive app on my phone i don't think i've touched it in several months now now that i know that Twitter's going to be around for at least the foreseeable future but did you at least brace yourself for like the uh, the notion that twitter could die do you have like some secret account somewhere just on the off chance you have to start sending out your basketball takes there no, I really don't. I didn't. I I stayed on Twitter. I was like, yeah, Mastodon. I was like anything else. I was just like, if it happens, okay, then I will make an account. But I'm not going to preemptively do it because I want to remain steadfast in my belief that someone will save Twitter. <laughs> Somehow, some way, it'll be safe. Well, I'm glad Twitter's still around. I, mean, I feel like that's like 95% of my net worth these days. Uh, the reason why I have some sort of fake clout online. But uh, again, uh, the reason we love Twitter so much is because we love Toronto Raptors basketball. And obviously, I want to dive into the current state of the team with you, Amon. But to do that, 
We almost have to connect it back to Twitter in a way, because I want to take you back to February 9th, Amon, the trade deadline. The, the, the big day, eyes of the league on Raptors, eyes of the of Twitter on Raptors Twitter, you know, big names being made available, but the one move that we made was the trade bringing aboard Jakob Pertl from the San Antonio Spurs, who we'll, we'll talk about here in a moment, but at that time, I'm on February 9th, the 3 o'clock trade deadline passes, emotions boil up, I mean, I was probably a wreck uh, that day, just constantly, you know, my thumb got a workout. I was scrolling through Twitter, seeing what the big moves were going to be. But when that deadline passed, what was kind of your immediate reaction to the moves that the Raptors did or or didn't make? Were, were you initially on board with the changes or the lack thereof? Because Jakob Pertl was the only key ingredient being moved that day. But we thought, you know, there was a good possibility that like a Fred Van Vliet, OG and OB, Gary Trent Jr., there could have been significant changes that day, but there weren't really any at all. Yeah, no, I, I was actually, um, I was actually on uh, Basketball News's um, live show reacting to all of the deals, well, as they happened. So I think it started at like one and it ended at four. So I was there doing that. And we were talking a lot about the Raptors because once again, the Raptors were the story of the trade deadline as they were in 2021 when they were dinking and Kyle Lowry was there. And I, you know, I, I was explaining to them that like, there's this fake notion, this fallacy, this like mis misunderstanding of Masai Ujiri where people believe that he just doesn't make deals at the deadline. And I'm like, that's not true. Marcus Ole was a deal at the deadline. Sergi Baca was a deal, deal at the deadline. PJ Tucker, um, Gary Trent Jr. There have been lots of deals at the deadline under Masai Ujiri. What he doesn't do is sell at the deadline. What he doesn't do is break things down at the deadline and just ship things away. That's something that we haven't seen from him. He's always made moves to improve his team, never make moves to tear things down. And I think when Masai did the press conference afterwards where he talked about the fact that in the offseason, 29 teams are losers. And that's when you have more of an ability to assess things and understand things. I thought that that made complete sense. And even on the broadcast, I was saying that, like, I'm pretty sure Masai is just sort of scoping the market for what these guys are worth. And then, sure enough, 40 minutes later, there's a Woj tweet. Masai Ujiri was just scoping the market for what these guys were worth. And I'm like, that, like, Masai Ujiri, I feel like, and I, I wrote about this for Yahoo Sports last earlier this week, and I said, you know, Masai Ujiri kind of does the one thing that he always says he's going to do. I use that Mindy Kaling quote from The Office, Kelly Kapoor saying, you know, who says exactly what they're thinking? Like, what kind of game is that? <laughs> and it's like, Masai Ujiri, he's constantly telling us exactly what it is, which is patience. And he's going to be patient. He is not going to make knee-jerky moves. He's not going to overreact to anything. It's not about the specific results, but the process to get there. And so if he believes in this core, if he believes in Pascal Siakam's talent, if he believes in Gary Trent Jr., if he believes in OG Ananobi and, and whoever else, then I didn't understand why you would tear it down, especially when I'm talking about Fred Van Vliet, because I'm looking around the league, and I mentioned it earlier with Miami Heat, you need a point guard, right? The Clippers desperately needed a point guard, right? Like, they were in the market, they tried it with John Wall, it didn't work, now they're trying it with Russell Westbrook right now. They were in the buyout market, they're going for guys who are on their last legs, who, you know, maybe are not in the league because of how desperately they need a point guard. The Phoenix Suns are going to be in the market for the point guard. The New York Knicks, we talk about their sort of change from last year to this season. It has everything to do with Jalen Brunson and finally getting a point guard. The Dallas Mavericks in a market for a point guard finally got Kyrie Irving. 
there's not a lot of options right there and the Raptors have one of them and I think it's so important to keep that if you are trading for Jakob Pertl and you're trading away your 2024 pick for him then basically what you're saying is I'm betting on this team to be able to um, play well and I don't think that that makes sense without giving Jakob Pertl a point guard because the Jakob Pertl Fred Van Vliet pick and roll we've seen it we've seen Fred Van Vliet already have 15 assists game feeding Jakob Pertl and I just think that like it this is the first real role man that, that's a that's a true big that Fred Van Vliet can play with and I think you kind of underscore the value of Jakob Pertl if you don't get him in there with a point guard because for as great as maybe a Pascal Jakob pick and roll is for as great as a Scotty Yak pick and roll is neither one of them can shoot. So guys are just going to consistently go under on those screens. It doesn't actually make sense for a long-term outlook of what this team's offense can be. I think you just need a point guard in order to make this work. I think what the Raptors have maybe learned over the last year is you kind of need traditional positions. <laughs> they exist for a reason. For as fun as 6'9", long guys are, you need a point guard and you need a center. Those are two things that are necessary here. And I think that, like, to me, it made sense to keep Fred Van Vliet. I thought maybe if the rumors are true, and they seem to be, with OG Ananobi, maybe he would be the one person that would be moved. But I didn't think it would be for anything short of a haul. Because it doesn't make sense to trade him for anything short of a haul. If you're not absolutely wowed by the offer, why trade him? Like, he, the value that he brings here is more valuable than anything else. And I think, you know, there are all these rumors about first-round picks. We don't know what the protections were on the picks that the Raptors were presumed to be getting. So we don't actually know how valuable they would be. And beyond that, the Raptors weren't looking for picks because they're not looking to blow it up right now. They're actually looking for players. And because they were not getting players back and just picks, it didn't make sense. However, and what I sort of wrote in my piece was, right now the Raptors are betting on this core. And I likened it a lot to Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. And I said, you know, DeMar, we know what his deficiencies are, their defense and their three-point shooting. So what do the Raptors do? They bring in DeMar Carroll. That doesn't work. Okay, we're going to bring in a stretch four. So they bring in Serge Ibaka. They bring in P.J. Tucker. They're trying different things to mask every deficiency that a Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan team has, and they're trying it out year after year after year until finally they say, hey, we cannot build around DeMar DeRozan. It doesn't actually work, so now we're going to trade him and actually make that move to go get Kawhi Leonard, right? And I'm, I liken that to trading for Jakob Pertl, but I said this team doesn't have five or six years or however long DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry had together to keep trying different things. They have 23 games, right? And so I'm like, they've got just 23, 25, however many games it was at that point in the season to make this work. And so right now, what you're going to do is you're going to say, I'm betting on you in the same way that I'm betting on them. I'm being patient with this core because I believe in you guys. So I'm going to get you the one thing that you need. It's a center. You have 23, 25, however many games to prove that this works. If it does not work, well then in the off season, we're going to look to tear it down. And that's when you can say, oh, Giannanobi, now you can be traded for picks, right? That's when you can say, now we can tear it down, now we can blow it up. But until you've actually given this court time to prove themselves and actually compete, and I don't think you've given them a fair shake. I don't think Masai has given them a fair shake if he doesn't get them a center. So until that happened, I didn't it didn't make sense for me to move past this core because everything that Masai Ujiri has ever preached and has ever done with this team in any iteration has been been patient with them and allowed, given them the resources to prove it to him 
whether or not they deserve to stick together. He gave DeMar seven years. He can't give Pascal and Fred and everybody else seven years. So this is their runway. This is their time. If it works, great. If it doesn't, oh well, you missed out on having the 10th overall pick. Big deal, right? Like, unless you really think that 10th overall pick is going to be the one to take you over the top, like, I don't know what to tell you. But also, if it doesn't work over the last 23 games, then you probably do have somewhere around a 10th pick because you're losing this stretch of games. But if you can prove that you can actually be a competent team and you can look good, which they've done, and I always believe that they would do because this is a good team. It was very clear that they just did not fit together and they needed the center to make it work. If you can prove that, I say go all for it. So I was I was so on board with trading Yakupertle, and it didn't make sense to me that everybody was waiting for that next move unless it was OG Ananobi for a bench. Um, because I'm not sure that you can get a bench for Gary Trent Jr. considering that he's expiring and it didn't make sense to me to move Fred Van Vliet right now. Um, so so I, I thought maybe OG would be the one piece that would move, but I wasn't surprised. I was doing the live stream there. It, I was talking about how I wasn't surprised that the Raptors didn't make a move, although I was nervous about OG, if anybody. But turns out there were no players coming back in that, so that was never a deal. I, f I feel like the key word that you said there was patience. And I, I feel like there yeah. are long stretches of the season where Toronto Raptors fans are anything but. Because we've had it so good for, for so long. We've been consistently a playoff team. We've been consistently near the top of the standings in the Eastern Conference. But, you know, we went through some some trials and tribulations this, this year with, with injuries and, you know, the quote-unquote vibes of the team not being very good. We were, we were hearing rumors about... About relationships within the roster not being as strong as they could be and then you would hear people on Raptors Twitter I'm, I'm not going to name names or anything but there were people calling into question the the you know Masai Ujiri being at the helm some of the decisions that he was or wasn't making with this core and, and like you said you know patience is a virtue we're going to head into the offseason there's going to be some key players on the team with their contracts coming up and we'll see how he kind of wants to to make up this roster for the next two to three years but did you ever find yourself during the course of this season Amon especially early on was your faith in Masai Ujiri ever wavering because I, I feel personally there were times where I was calling into question why he didn't do certain acquisitions with this team obviously there was no legitimate backup point guard on the team we didn't have a, a five man a, a true center a seven footer someone who could you know set screens rebound defend the paint we have that now with Jakob Pertl but early on Amon did you ever look at Masai Ujiri and be like what the hell are you doing yeah, I think it's I think it's fair to question what the front office is doing. I think a lot of people have really been on, you know, whether it be Fred Van Vliet or Nick Nurse, and I've kind of always pointed to this is more a roster construction issue than it is anything else. This is about the Raptors really just not having the players and not having the pieces, which comes down to the front office. I have been a big proponent of trading for Jakob Pertl. I feel like he did it a year and a half too late, and I get waiting and being patient is why the price went down, but we're talking about a completely different Raptors team if this deal was made in December um, or you know, even before the start of the year than right now. And it, to me, it seemed very clear that the Raptors needed a center, so I'm not sure why they waited until the 11th hour to make a deal like this. But I mean, the thing about Masai Ujiri is like, I don't know, wasn't everyone saying the same thing when he drafted Scotty Barnes ahead of Jalen Suggs? And like, wasn't everybody saying the same thing when like he traded DeMar DeRozan? Like, I just feel like at some point you got to be like, all right, let me tip my hat to this front office because they continuously make the right move. And um, yeah, being patient is so important. And it, it, it's, 
you're right that fans are anything but patient, and I get that because you just want to see wins. Masai Ujiri addressed that in his press conference as well. But my thing is, you have to be patient when you're talking about tearing it down. So if the goal is to blow it up, you have to be patient because that player is going to take a while to develop. The chance that you jump up a million different spots in the draft and get the fourth overall pick again is pretty rare. The fact that you get a Scotty Barnes who can be rookie of the year right away is pretty rare. And so to me, it's like, okay, so you're giving up on a point guard so that you have none. And I know that people want to see Scotty Barnes in that role, but I don't think that he's anywhere there yet now, right? The, the fact that he doesn't have that pull-up shooting is a real issue when we're talking about pick and roll game and how teams can just continuously go under. I don't think his handle is quite strong enough right now. He like, you know, in transition, he can he can sort of do what he needs to do. He can get into the he can he can go straight down and he he's good at sort of kicking it out. But can he get into the teeth of a defense in a in half court set? Um, what is your sort of point of attack defense look like? I just think that there are certain questions there. I think he can, can develop into that role, but I don't think we're there right now. And we need to talk about Pascal Siakam and not sort of giving up on that. So if you get another rookie, you're talking about developing two guys under the age of 22 to play with a guy who's nearing 30, right? Like that to me just doesn't seem like it makes complete sense. I think it's much more likely that Scotty is good enough to get into Pascal Siakam's timeline than it is that another, than we need to pivot towards another rookie. Like I'm betting on Scotty Barnes. I'm betting on his growth. I'm betting on his development. I'm betting on the fact that he can be a, a great running mate or even a star next to Pascal Siakam than him needing a lot more time that we actually have to go back and get a 19 year old to pair with him. So I, I think that like, to me, yes, was I questioning some of Masai's moves? Of course. I was making jokes there with everybody else. But when it comes down to it, I think I've always said this and I've always reiterated this, whether it was picking Scotty Barnes ahead of Jalen Suggs, I was a huge proponent of trading DeMar DeRozan. I think I don't think I have to say that I was just pro Masai on that, but like I I've always just said trust this front office. They're incredibly smart. They've proven to be incredibly smart. And it helps that they've made the one move that I wanted them to make. I have a tweet earlier in the year saying trade Ken Birch and a first round pick for Yanko Pertle. Please get it done. And finally, it happened. Well, I too am betting on Scotty Barnes, if that isn't already apparent on social <laughs> media. I'm betting on him becoming the all-time leading scorer in Toronto Raptors history. And I, I hope the, the team will invite me to that game if and when he does it. I mean, just uh, throwing it out there in the universe. I think that would be really cool. Quickly here, Amon. Uh, before we move forward, I just kind of want to get your thoughts on this one overarching philosophy of the season because I think with, with the team's record right now, we are currently, uh, before uh, during recording here, we are one game under 500. Can this season ultimately be deemed a success for the Toronto Raptors? Like if they do, if they fall short of the playoffs, obviously I think a lot of people will kind of, you know, thumbs down, it, it will be a season lost in a sense. But do you think there is a way to ultimately salvage what the Raptors have done this season like do you do you see them getting into the play in maybe making some noise in the first round or is everything just you know there's there's zero expectations at this point everything is essentially a bonus I I, I think that there's ways that the season can be a success and I think we're seeing it right now I think the Raptors defense is really what I'm sort of focusing in on um, can you get into the top 12 
defensively? Can you finish around there? Can you actually prove that you can string? And I, I think if they, you know, fall out of the play-in or they, they don't make the playoffs, they're not one of the final eight teams, then I think you're disappointed. And I think you walk away thinking that this is a failed season. Knock on wood that there are no injuries that cause any of that. But if that's the case, then I think you're looking at this as a failed season. But if they can make a run here and they can, because I'm looking at the rest of the play-in, I've said my thoughts on the Miami Heat. I don't think that they're that good. Um, you know, Jimmy Butler can win anybody a game, right? Like, I'm taking Jimmy Butler in, in a one-game off uh, against most teams. So Jimmy Butler can win anybody a game, but I'm looking at the Miami Heat as a team that's not very good. The Atlanta Hawks, I don't think that they're very good either. The Washington Wizards, they're not very good. These are the teams that you're in the play-in with. If you can't beat them, <laughs> you know, you lose to them, then, yeah, you, you had a failed season. You... Masai put all of the pieces together. You guys needed to prove it. You guys maybe didn't have as long of a, a run there as you wanted, but you were failed in your um, goal to to make the playoffs, which I think is the goal right now to go up against, you know, a, a Milwaukee Bucks or a Boston Celtics, whatever it may be. But that is your goal right now. And I think that, like, if they fail to do that, then it is a failed season. But if they manage to do that and they manage to actually have a good first round and they look like a team that you can build on, because the Ra this Raptors team coming into the year was never going to win a championship. And I think sometimes it's good to have a little bit of adversity. I did not expect them to have this much adversity, but I do think it's pretty good to have a little bit of adversity. I think it's good to highlight your team's weaknesses, to force your front office's hands to make the moves to, to clog those, which is what... The Raptors, like I mentioned, did time and time again with the Lowry and DeRozan Raptors. So to me, I'm looking at this, I'm like, okay, you have your biggest holes filled. Sure, you still need a backup point guard, but, you know, I said that Scotty can't be your starting point guard, but I think he can be your backup point guard. That doesn't mean coming off your bench. That just means those hybrid lineups, I'd like to see Scotty with the ball in his hands. I'd like to see him sort of work more there. I like those looks. I think that that's good development for him as well. And so it's like, okay. You have this final stretch of games. If you can prove it and you look like a team worth betting on, you don't, you're not winning the championship, so it's fine that you lose in the first round or what have you. But if you look like a team worth betting on going into next season, then I think this is a success because now you're starting off next year with a starting center, with your roster. Everyone kind of has more clearly defined roles. And that's when Masai Jerry, hopefully, and Bobby Webster in the offseason can look to make things work. I know people are worried about them brushing up against the luxury tax, but I think Blake Murphy has kind of tweeted and, and shared pieces about that. There's easy ways to, to duck the tax there, including just moving off of auto border. Um, and so I, I think that like I would be excited about this team into next season. If they can prove to be a good team this year, I'll see this season as a success, at least the latter half of it, and I will be excited about next season. If they start to flail a little bit and don't make the playoffs, this is a very long-winded answer, I'm sorry, then I'm looking at this season <laughs> as a failure, and I'm kind of nervous about what they look like next year. Well, you know what, Amon? I dig the positivity. You know, there was there was some times there I was posting some Victor Wembanyama memes in a Raptors jersey. Things <laughs> were looking extremely bleak. The, the the Spurs have lost 13 games in a row, and before the the you know 14 games ago when they finally won a game, before that they lost five games in a row. Like you're not catching these teams. These teams are horrible. That means they've lost 18 of the last 19 games. These teams are not. You're not going to catch them. The Spurs and the Rockets are so bad. You're not going to get Scoot. You're not going to get. Wemby, it's just, 
it's not in the cards, which um, means, you know, you might as well try to build something if you're not going to get the superstar in the draft. I like the Spurs being relevant. I, I do hope they get Victor Wembanyama. This is just another Tim Duncan scenario. So I yeah. do hope they get that pick and then they too. return to relevancy. But I always dig your positivity, Iman. We need more of that in the Raptors' Twitter sphere. But uh, as we move forward here on the podcast, I am bringing back an oldie but a goodie when it comes to the show. It's a segment that is very simple in execution, but it's difficult to master, my friend. It's likely or unlikely. I'm simply going to throw some scenarios at you in terms of basketball, and you just tell me if it's likely or unlikely, and give me the reason why. Sound good? Let's go. All right, so likely or unlikely, Amon, due to the low ratings and lack of urgency from the players, the NBA is going to institute major changes to its All-Star game in the next two years. What are major changes? And something drastically different from what we're doing right now. So we're not doing like the two captains. We're not doing this live draft. We may go back to like the East versus West. Maybe we'll we'll throw a curveball in there. It's North America versus the world. Something like that. Maybe even okay. some like tangible incentive for the yeah, for the All Star game, like what baseball does, for example. Yeah, I think it's going to. I think there will be a tangible incentive. I think what you just need is players to want to care about the game. So I can see the NBA instituting a tangible incentive. Outside of that, no, it makes too much money. Regardless of if people care about the game or not. What a horrible game that was this year. I ended up watching The Last of Us. I I couldn't do the All-Star game. That's what they need. That's that's your tangible difference. Put Kyle Lowry back in. Teams play defense then, okay? (laughs) He was drawing charges on Kawhi Leonard. It was was beautiful. We need some more Kyle Lowry. We just got (laughs) to get him. We got to vote his ass into the All-Star game. He was the one trying out there. He was. And if one person tries, that's the thing. Like, if one person tries, then everybody suddenly tries. Like, that's all the All-Star game is. It's like, oh, this person is caring and is doing this? Oh, well, guess I got it too. So, like, yeah, he set the tone. Well, someone who didn't necessarily want to be out there in the All-Star game because he didn't think his skill set went with the All-Star game is Nikola Jokic. (laughs) So, Amon, likely or unlikely, Voter fatigue is going to settle in when the MVP po- and when the MVP vote is made, and Jokic is not going to win a third straight MVP award this year. Unlikely, I think. I think with the boom in stats and advanced stats and metrics like that, I think narrative-based awarding has gone down. So the idea of fatigue, I think, will just disappear, and it'll just be no. This is the best regular season player in basketball this year, so we have to give it to him. Which I think, you know, if you're comparing it historically, that might be unfair to the LeBron James and the Michael Jordans of the world. But I think it's a good way for the NBA to change moving forward that we're not doing this based off of narratives. Are you giving Joel Embiid any shot at this point? Because I feel like the ESPNs of the world are really pushing for him to get it. Yeah, no. I just, I think he has a shot at it, sure. But like there are 20 games to make up quite a bit. If the Sixers finish with the one seed, that's his shot. Sixers get the one seed, then I'm, I think Joel Embiid it can be your MVP. Well, likely or unlikely, Amon, regardless of how the team closes out this season, Kyrie Irving will not be a Dallas Maverick next season. Ooh, I think that's unlikely. I think he just needs some stability. I think he needs some stability. Apparently, he's got family there. I think that's where his daughter's located. Um, You know, he's got ties to the GM there. So I I just feel like there are a lot of ties there. It made sense for why they traded for him. 
I'm going to say it's likely he needs some stability. Yeah, I, I was curious because if you're talking about stability, we've always heard those rumors with the Los Angeles Lakers, and you know LeBron James is going to be pushing for him to come aboard uh, this summer. Do you see any potential of him being a Laker? Regardless, again, the Mavericks could go really far in the playoffs, but like we saw with Kawhi Leonard, if, if a player's heart is set somewhere else, the team's success may not ultimately play into his decision. Maybe Kyrie Irving is, no matter what, just looking you know, laser-focused on the Lakers this year. I think it's impossible to know where Kyrie's heart was set. At one point, it was the Brooklyn Nets. Very and true. It turns out that, you know, the second that he got there, he said he, there were issues in the first year. He wanted out in the first year of getting there. Like, what are you talking about? So, I don't know. I, I think that, like, I'm going to bet on him being a Dallas Maverick next year first, and then the Lakers would obviously be my second pick there. Well, lastly, Iman, likely or unlikely, and if my research skills uh, are working, which we'll, we'll see in a moment, there have been <laughs> 21 games this season in which a player has scored 50 or more points. So by the end of the regular season, that number is going to hit 25. So essentially, there's going to be at least four more 50-point games before it's all said and done. Okay, so I just watched Clippers... Kings, where the final score was 175, 176. So if NBA players keep shooting like that and keep defending like that, then by all means, I think that there will be maybe not even four. Maybe we'll go five. I'm taking the over on that. Is that crazy? Can you believe that no one in that game scored 50? Yeah, it's wild. It was it was such a fun game though. Shot making is beautiful. I love when other teams don't play defense. Just keep Malik Monk was going to hit 50. Like we, Of all the players in the league Close. to get 50, like he might be the next one. Like Pull a Terrence Ross. Close. I mean, I, I would be excited for it. But yeah, no, teams are playing at the fastest pace. <laughs> you know, the pace just keep getting quicker and quicker, and the shot making has just been improving and improving, and you have more spacing than you've ever had. So yeah, I see it. I see it. I'm going likely. Do you see the potential for a Raptor to hit 50? Now that everyone's healthy, I feel like that's far less likely, but maybe we'll see another Siakam outburst at some point. Maybe. Maybe. I would put that on the unlikely pile, but um, who knows? I've yeah, you never before. know. Scotty Barnes, I mean, look, it's been a minute <laughs> Ooh, since I've done a Scotty Barnes tweet. Patrick Patterson's looking down at you, bud, and saying, when hey, are you going to pass Fred just me? had a kid. Fred just had a kid. We know what uh, happened could, the last time he had a kid. Congratulations to the Raptors on their 23 NBA championship. It's a, it's a good <laughs> omen for that. Um, but a good omen in general, uh, Amon, is you coming back on the podcast. I truly do appreciate your time. But before we sign off, before I do let you go, uh, as again, customary here on the Walder Sportscast, I do have some fun, essentially rapid fire. It's never rapid fire. Take your time. I'm too it's all good. I'm too long winded for a rapid fire. I like long winded. That's fire. the. There's nothing wrong with that. I like the <laughs> long-winded answers. I like your explanations, but I do have some fun questions to at least send you on your way. All right, let's go. So shout out to your recent tweet bringing to attention that Riff Raff is a cousin of Mac McClung. I had no idea that those two had any sort of relation whatsoever. Couldn't believe it. Had to look into the family tree for that, but you know, still crazy to me. But we've had some time to digest the NBA All-Star Saturday night, Amon. Has Mac McClung saved the dunk contest? You know, he has. I think that, like, 
I, I thought the entire dunk contest was enjoyable. Obviously, Mac McClung was the best dunker of the night and deservedly won and has saved it in the same way we talked about Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine saving it in years past. But I just thought the entire event was pretty enjoyable. I thought all of the dunks were pretty enjoyable. I appreciated that whole night. The one thing that I will say sort of changed, and I think that like a guy like Mac McClung, who is sort of an unassuming looking dunker like you just don't expect that out of him he's 6'2 only you know uh he's barely on an nba roster i think the excitement from the broadcast completely changes everything i think when they're excited about a dunker when they're excited about a dunk it makes it more enjoyable for the people watching it at home so if the nba wants to change something the people who are on your broadcast are ambassadors of the sport. They should be hyping it up, not constantly telling us to do away with this. They've been there. They've seen it all. They've done it all themselves. They're so, they're so negative. And it just makes for a negative viewing experience, too, when they're not excited about, you know, whether it be someone putting their arm in the rim or, you know, some of like the Trey Murphy dunks. Like there were just a lot of really fun dunks. And the one thing that they gave us with Mac McClung was like genuine excitement and giddiness at what he was able to do. Because let me tell you, those were crazy impressive. But if they just showed a little bit more life, I think everyone would enjoy the dunk contest a little bit more. That Jericho Sims dunk was terrible though. The one where he, <laughs> he stuck his arm in the okay. rim and then he pulled up an envelope, which tore Here's in half. The issue with that is he had already stuck his arm in the rim. So, like, you can't do that. And then you can't tell us that you're going to get a 50 for that. Like, I just feel like the creativity needed a little bit more. But, like, bringing in Jose Alvarado to get a steal, that was really, really fun. So some of the other ones were great. But, yeah, Jericho Sims, he had, he had a dud. He had a dud in there. Kenny Smith said it best many, many years ago when he said, you don't need the names, you need the game. You need the guys who can go out there and put on yeah. a show. And Mac McClung and, and Trey Murphy, maybe to a lesser extent, Jericho Sims, because I thought he was the <laughs> uh, the lone lowlight of that whole competition. But uh, Amon, I've, I've asked this in the past, and I feel like I've asked it to you a couple of times now, but what do you find yourself currently binge watching? Is there anything good on Netflix or Ooh. Disney Plus or, or Amazon Prime that you're currently This into? is when I told you I was watching Matter and Family, and you were like is that a good show and i'm like no it, it's really really good <laughs> like i think i have to convince a lot of people that modern family is actually enjoyable television even though it seems like you know another big bang theory what am i watching what am i watching um obviously terrible reality tv because that never goes away oh what's your go-to show for reality television right now Oh, it's so bad, but like Love is Blind after the altar just came out, doing oh. that, doing perfect match as well. You've succumbed I, to the madness, eh? Oh, of course. Like, it came out in the pandemic. It knew exactly how to get me. <laughs> like, like <laughs> that, that I'm going to, I'm going to fall in to any of your ridiculous TV shows. But I'm, I know I'm binging something. It's just not coming to me right now. Like, I'm like, what do I, what do I want to leave and watch right now before the Raptors game? I don't know. I can't remember. But we'll just say bad I will recommend TV. this to you. I'll, I will yeah. re recommend this to you. I'm not sure because uh, it's based on the video game. But have you been catching up with The Last of Us? That seems to be the not. new hit on TV. That Yeah, I have not actually. And, you know, I love every Like, I'm, I'm an HBO gal. I love everything they put out. But that's just not something that I've gotten into yet. Is that something I should begin? I would say so. I'm biased okay. though because I play the video game. But even if you don't know what's going on, I feel like it's 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 that good of a show. And I also okay. watched The Mandalorian too. So shout out to Pedro Pascal. He seems to be in everything I love these days. He's great. 
Shout out to Pedro. If he's listening to the podcast, which I'm 100% confident he's not, uh, return the love, buddy. Is he a big Raptors fan? No, I'm making that. Oh, I thought you were were throwing me for a curveball there. I was like, oh, man, is he really a Raptors fan? That'd be friggin' awesome. They did shoot the show in Canada out in uh, Alberta, so maybe he is catching up on some Raptors ball. Uh, I want to ask you this as well, and you have explained this to me in the past, but explain to those who are not aware why you always do the 11-11 tweets on social media, the significance behind oh, that. I said I, was retire- I said I was retiring it, and then all hell broke loose, and I was just like, I'm bringing it back. <laughs> like, clearly, this is restoring justice and, and peace in this world. I don't know. It's like... I, I forget why it began. I, I definitely told the story on here for why it really began. I'm pretty sure it had something to do with like me and one of my friends joking and it turned into something. And now people are like, you didn't tweet 11-11 or like it's 11-12. Where was the tweet? So it's just become a fun thing and it's cool to catch. So I've just continued doing it for that. But I genuinely retired it and I stopped doing it and all hell broke loose. And I was like, you know what? Obviously, I don't believe that this is what's going to restore justice, but it's nice to trick your brain into just going back to the norm. And as my life has returned to normal, I've started tweeting 11.11 again. Well, the number 11 holds such significance to you and your social media presence, but I do want to take that number, (laughs) 11, and turn it into a little bit of a trivia challenge. Because one of my things on Twitter is using jersey numbers uh, to post the Toronto Raptors uh, record. Shout out to Bodog Canada. I do it for them. Never, I, you could ask me what any player's jersey number is, and I will not know it. So this is going to be fun if that's what this game is. Well, this will be hella interesting now because be in, <laughs> in Toronto Raptors history, there have yeah. been eight players oh, to wear the number 11. How many of them can you name? Are, are, you just said you're not great with jersey numbers. You I can take some terrible. guesses if you'd like. Jamario Moon? Jamario Moon is not one uh, who's but worn the number he wore 30, 11. right? I, don't, I think uh, like he wore the number 30. I'll take your word for it. Um... <laughs> Number 11. I don't know. Rosho Nesterovich? I have no nope. idea who wears jersey numbers. <laughs> well, let's Is there throw, like a recent? Uh, yeah, there's one who currently wears it. There's one who currently wears it? He's still on the roster, I think. That's kind of a giveaway about who it oh. might be. Otto Porter Jr.? No, so that's that's not bad actually, because we are questioning whether or not he is still a <laughs> Toronto Raptor with his bloody injury. But uh, no, someone that they just signed uh, to a recent contract. Um, he had like one offensive outburst off the bench because he was hitting some wide open threes. Does that ring a bell? No. Who wears the number eleven? And I'm, if I'm mispronouncing should, no, this his is name, embarrassing. J- Joe Weiss is it Weisskamp or I'm oh, so bad with names. Oh, Weisskamp. Weisskamp. There you go. Okay. Weezy. Yeah. So he's that makes one sense. of them. Okay. Uh, another you, player. <laughs> well, neither am I. Look, if I didn't have basketball reference, I wouldn't know what the heck I'm talking about. Uh, a couple of them are point guards. We're talking like okay. uh, mid 2000s. Uh, one was a starter. Uh, one was a starter. You're gonna hear these names, and you're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, you're right." Yeah, obviously. Like I, I know that I'm like okay, Jermaine Jackson. He was not <laughs> a starter though. He wore the number eight. I feel like he wore the number eight. I feel like I know that. Um, okay, hold on. Uh, oh, oh, um, 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 did we TJ got him Ford from the wear, did TJ Ford yes. wear the number 11? Okay. TJ Ford uh, wore 11. Okay, who else, who else? Uh, he was, a uh, an and one baller. His, his best career was with and one. Oh, skip to the loo. Hell yeah, Ray for Alston. Ray for Alston? Okay, I didn't know that, okay. Um, one was a former Detroit Pistons point guard. A former Detroit Pistons And it's not Chauncey Billups. 
I was gonna ask, I was gonna do that. That was gonna be my first guess. Um, what year are we talking? Um, let's see here. 2003. Early 2000s? Early yes, 2000s? early 2000s. Lindsay Hunter? Absolutely. He played for the Lindsay Pistons, Hunter. right? That's there how I know go. him. I know him as a Piston before or after. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if he'll get any other other of these players, but the other players to wear it, uh, Justin Was Champagne. there anyone? Oh, okay. Okay. I was going to, you know what? I I swear to you, he was on the tip of my tongue. And I was like, I can't remember if he, but you said current Raptor. So I was like, okay, it's not Champagne because he's not on the team anymore. <laughs> but I was like, on the, like, all, it was, it was about to come out. It was about, I thought I was, and now I'm just rambling. But yeah. Okay. Uh, and an- another player here uh, played for, I think, three seasons with the Raptors. His initials are L and K. Linus Klaza? Linus Klaza. Okay. And who else have we got here? Um, One, I if you got this, I would like bow in your presence. Shamori Pons? Who? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry. Uh, I don't want me to be disrespectful to the guy. Last I but not apologize. least, in 1999, there was a guy named uh, Nigel Knight. Okay. Or Nigel Knight so or something like I, that. I, yeah. I do apologize. I, I'm so glad I got TJ Ford because I was just picturing him in my head. Um, but that was the only one that I properly guessed without getting a hint. But you know what? Let's get to my Lou and Linus Klaza. I do apologize to you guys because I do have lots of love. It's it's <laughs> nice to recall good. some of these players because Lord knows Shamori Pons was never going to come up in conversation I, again. Or the guy from 1999. Very sorry to you. Um and I'm, I'm sure I've butchered his name, me. just like the guy who currently plays for the Raptors, uh, Weisskamp. Couldn't, couldn't get his name right. He needs to play more. I need to hear his name during the broadcast more Which to get I'm, his name aren't right. Aren't you happy that we're getting some Downton minutes? That's fun. Oh, Thanks, the Downton Abbey tweets are just going hard. I love it. Downton <laughs> Abbey. Just really good stuff. But um, uh, I, I also saw another tweet because, again, most of these questions are just coming from stuff that you tweet them on. Oh, God. Uh, you texted your mom. Uh, oh, about how gosh. many NBA players she can name. And the results were actually hilarious. I think one of them was <laughs> LeBran James and Grace yeah. Hardname for Antetokounmpo. Which one of those misspelled names got the biggest reaction out of you when you first saw it? Grease Hardname was really funny. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I, like, I like Grease Hardname. Also, people were so confused at Freddie. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you don't get it. My mom treats the Raptors as though they're her family and her friends. So, um, yeah, like, Fred is Freddie. <laughs> like, Ibaka is her, you know, homeboy. I'm pretty sure she had him on there. Definitely did not spell that one correctly. But no, Grease hard name because she didn't even attempt. She was like, I'm not going to try, but I know that he has a difficult name and I know he's from Greece. So I think Serge Ibaka was Serge Ibka. She forgot the A yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was actually really hilarious. Shout out to your um, mom. She also thought for the longest time that Ananobi was two different people because she thought it was OG and Obi. So she thought people oh. were talking about OG and then and OB. So she just thought, you know, they were a tandem that worked really well together. And I'm like, nope, that's one human being. Dynamic <laughs> duo. He's essentially yeah. two people. He's just yeah. a OG two-man and force OB. out She's there. She's like, so who's OB? Nope, that's OG and an OB. That's the full name. <laughs> Well, we all can't get them right anyway, but uh, I also want to give a shout out to the Dishes and Dimes podcast that you were a yeah. part of as well. Are there any future plans for more episodes? I feel we like we actually it's been have a minute. meeting coming up. Yeah, it, it has. You know, Sandy, congratulations to her. Just had a baby. Um, I, of course, have been going through family stuff as well. So everyone's just kind of, um, you know, in the middle of some things. But we, um, we'll see. We'll see where where that sort of takes us into the new year. 
if the if the show were to never do a podcast again, and I'm glad to hear that you guys are, are going to be recording soon enough, what do you think would be like the lasting legacy of Dishes and Dimes? Because when you when you girls first started recording, the market was there. We, we, there's not a lot of all female casts for a basketball podcast, and I think a lot of people gravitated to it. So I'm I'm really happy to hear that it's coming back. But what kind of an impact do you girls think you've made? Because it's it really is a big one. Yeah, I mean, thank you. I I would hope so. There we you know and Sandy put out the tweet and it was something that we were all sort of talking about was just this is you know if you look online you look on twitter i say some of my favorite raptor personalities like fans online have been women i think that they're so funny and they're so creative with the jokes that they make and with the content that they put out there it is enjoyable to consume except no one is actually there's no backing right like there's no podcast backing there's no article backing there's none of that and And that was always sort of disheartening to see that like the people who led the charge in the media, whether it was online media or, you know, television and uh, radio were all men. And that was a little disheartening to see. And so now I think we're starting to see a a large change. We're starting to see the push. Obviously, it's slow coming. Things don't change overnight, but I'm starting to see a lot more women who are trying out media and testing things out. You know, I started writing because of that which has been a lot of fun. And I have, you know, a couple of podcasts that I'm spinning off off of that, which is a lot of fun as well. So it's just, it's enjoyable to see so many people grow and try out other things when there just wasn't an online space for that as women. And we learned that we can just create our own which is really, really cool. I must say too, when you first started publishing like written pieces for Yahoo Sports Canada and basketballnews.com, I was like, man, I'm on quite the hell of a writer. I was happy to see it. Thank you. I, you know, I like, I appreciate that a lot. And it's been like, it's been so cool to see, you know, most of my pieces are out with basketball news. And then this year trying it out with, with Yahoo as well. And like, I was surprised at some of the response that I'd been, that I was getting from it. It was really, really cool and really great to see that you could just sort of put something out there and there are there is a market for it and people will read it and a lot of really cool opportunities and experiences come for that. So that's really cool. Nice callback earlier in the podcast as well. You dropped that Kelly Kapoor line in your latest piece for Yahoo Sports. I did. Yeah. 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 I keep notes <laughs> of this stuff. It's all up here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I um, I, <laughs> I won't leave my basic B-ness. Like that's not going away anywhere. It's gonna be, it's gonna be some Kelly Kapoor quotes. Okay, we're getting, we're getting office references. It's happening. And uh, lastly, here, Amana, before we sign off, I've asked most of my recent guests this as well, dating back to June when I actually did the podcast. But we did allude to this earlier. If the internet was to shut down tomorrow, you know, no more Ooh. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media, you name it. What is the one thing you would want your followers to most remember you for? That's, oh, that's a good one. Um, It's going to be something boring, like 11-11 tweets. But like, in all <laughs> honesty, I think it's just like the ability to turn your tweets and your passion into something that you get paid to do and um, foster an environment, you know, that is welcoming and and yeah, like just being able to turn your passion into something that you get paid to do, I think is pretty cool. So I would love for women, especially, you know, people who don't see themselves quite often in media. I'm a black Muslim woman. I am not the sort of pinnacle of what you see in most media streams. And I've been able to 
um, create a niche market where people care about the random opinions I have on, you know, some guys dribbling a basketball, which is like pretty cool. So I would hope that like that, that is what people sort of remember my Twitter account by because I was just a 16 year old girl who got on there to vent about Andrea Bargnani. And now I get paid <laughs> to post things. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool that we a, a number of us have turned Twitter into like paying positions. Yeah. I'm really happy to see that. We're all making our dimes off of uh, our dishes and dimes, uh, no pun intended, <laughs> off of uh, off of social media. And again, you are, are far more than 1111 tweets, my friend. You've had such a, a fantastic presence. And I, I'm so happy to see so many people on Raptors Twitter and NBA Twitter as a whole gravitate yeah. towards your account. So oh, I appreciate again, that. Thank you so much, Amon, for doing this. Uh, I will be talking to you again later this evening as we talk about Raptors yeah. Cavaliers. Uh, so check hopefully that out on Yahoo Sports win. Canada. Yeah, hopefully yeah. after a win. No one wants to hear us be all miserable and stuff about no. losing to the Cavs. We have their number. So we'll see them in the playoffs one day. But uh, before I let you go, just remind the listeners where they can find you on Twitter and on the web as a whole. Uh, so my name, Iman underscore N. So that's I-M-M-A-N underscore A-D-A-N. And um, Yahoo's Birth Canada. And uh, hopefully Dishes and Dimes. We'll be seeing that fairly soon, I hope. <laughs> Thanks again for doing this, Iman. Truly appreciate it. Thank you. And just like that, episode 60 is in the books. A big thank you once again to Iman for coming back on to talk with me. Give her a follow on Twitter at Iman underscore Adon. And go support her work over at Yahoo Sports Canada and BasketballNews.com. Like we talked about during the podcast, she's a fantastic writer. So if you're not checking her work out already, make sure you're doing so right away. And of course, if you're a part of Raptors Twitter, you're likely already following her on Twitter. But just double check to make sure. And hey, while you're at it, subscribe to the podcast, The Walder Sportscast. I'm still on Apple, still on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Podbean, Amazon. I never left. It's been a minute, of course, but you can still check out all of my old episodes and stay tuned for new ones. As of now, tentatively, I'll be joined by Blake Murphy for next week's show to talk some more Toronto Raptors basketball. We'll also get into some AEW as well, because Revolution, the big pay-per-view, is next weekend as well. So I'm just going to keep churning out content to the best of my ability. I'm ready, guys. So thank you so much for the support, and thank you for checking out my return show. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports, and I'll see you guys on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. <laughs>